there are people who are turning 21 years old today, um, and they were born a year after 9-11, right? Like, is that right? Yeah, it's 21 years this year, which is just unbelievable to think about. Um, I, I bet if you were around then and you were old enough to remember, you know exactly where you were exactly what you were doing. Um, I was late for biology. That was not out of the norm. I was often late for biology. I stopped, up, stopped off for the breakfast of my people, a honey bun and a Mountain Dew. And uh, I was late arriving to class and sat down and realized people were talking about something going on. I thought, I'm failing anyway, I should go back and watch TV. And I was there the rest of the day. I was there the rest of the day. And even if, even if you maybe didn't personally know anyone who was who lost their lives on 9-11, um, it radically changed the world. It changed our country. It changed the level of safety that I think most of us felt um, in the world. And it, it changed not just that day, but it's gone on and on and on. We've, we've, had war, we've been at war for like 20 years um, as a result of 9-11. And when you think about the loss of life, not only that happened on 9-11, but that happened as a result of the wars uh, after 9-11, not only American lives, but lives of other people and places, especially civilian lives that were lost. Um, I, think, I don't know if it was Richard Rohr, I think it was Richard Rohr, but everybody quotes Richard Rohr, so I'm just gonna say it was Richard Rohr. <laughs> and if I made this up, I'm gonna be really bummed that I gave it to him, because he has plenty. Um, but like spirituality is, is kind of about what you do with your pain. Um, and I think that a help as a people and as a country, we learn as we move forward what to do with our pain. Um, I hope we never have pain like that again. And so know that it was 21 years ago, but there are people who um, still have empty chairs uh, because of that day. Um, people whose lives were irreparably harmed. And so today we just acknowledge uh, the 21st anniversary of this event that changed the world. Um, not, not in a positive way, obviously. And we just, we, we hold space for those who are grieving today as well, even, even if um, it's just because of, well, there, there, was, there was the way the world was and then there was this. And so we just acknowledge and hold that today. Um, we're in a series called Naked Spirituality. How many of you are reading Brian McLaren's book that, goes, that we're, we're going through? A couple of you? Yeah. It's an incredible book. Um, and what we're doing sort of in, in the series is, um, we're informed by what Brian has written, but we're kind of doing our own thing, right? So I, I realized, I think a couple weeks ago, I said, I'm not just going to read a chapter to you every week from the book. That would be a little boring. Um, but we're in this season of simplicity. That's how the book begins, with the season of simplicity. It's the spring-like season. It's a season of awakening. It's a season where we become awake to uh, maybe God, where we become awake to ourselves, where we become awake to the journey we're on. Um, and if, if you remember when you first became awake to something, what happens is there's this sense of enthusiasm, there's this energy. And so last week we talked about one of the words for this season is the word here. Uh, and if you joined us online last week, we were online only, we talked about what it, what it means to be here and sort of the way the past pulls at us with, and then the way the future pulls us forward, but th there's something about here um, that the future doesn't become unless we do here. Um, and if we stay too far in the past, we can't be here. And, and this week we're going to continue by talking about the word thanks. I think that's a word we probably use all the time. How many of you use the word thanks like a bajillion times a day? All right? Like somebody, you're, you're sitting down at a restaurant, they bring you a glass of water. What do you say? Thanks. 
Somebody holds the door open for you. What do you say? Uh, somebody pulls you over and gives you a speeding ticket. What do you say? <laughs> no. Okay. So there are clear moments where the word is not applicable. Um, but it's something I, I realize how much time we spend with our kids talking about politeness, right? And I think thanks is one of those words that for many of us is just, it's the polite thing to say. Like if, if somebody brings you something, they give you something, even if it was a little late, you don't go, it's about time. You say, thanks. I mean, maybe you do. People don't like that. They would prefer you just say, thanks. And we focus with our kids. When somebody, when they order a, something at a restaurant, we say, please. And when they bring it, you say, thanks. And when somebody does something kind for you, you say, Thanks. If somebody gives you a Christmas gift and you already have it, you don't go, I've got two of these now. You say, thanks. And I think in some ways that that's, that's great, right? I think teaching our kids to be polite is a good thing. But there's in some ways that when you use a word over and over and over again uh, without thinking about it, uh, Dallas Willard said familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. There's this idea that you use it all the time and somehow it loses its oomph, right? It loses its Power. And so today I want to talk about what does it mean to be a person of thanks, a person you maybe can say gratitude as well. And I want to look at a passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, the Bible nerd in me just needs to tell you this, that 1 Thessalonians is probably the oldest document in the New Testament. Um, so I know it starts with the book of Matthew, but Matthew wasn't even the oldest gospel. Mark is probably the first gospel, then Matthew, then maybe Luke or John. You could convince me either one, depending on the day of the week. Right? But Paul's letters, his authentic letters, they're seven of them, were written before the Gospels. So the closest thing we have to the time of Jesus and the life of Jesus are Paul's writings. And 1 Thessalonians, most people think, was his first letter that we actually have. And so just a caution when you're reading Paul's letter, 1 Thessalonians. Um, do you imagine that Paul changed his mind at all as he grew and learned? You're all evangelical, aren't you? Because you're like, yes, he for sure... <laughs> For sure it did, right? We were sort of, many of us were taught, no, 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 that, that sort of, it all fell out of the sky whole cloth. And so it, that's not the case. Paul, if you read his letters, the seven uh, genuine letters, what you'll see is Paul changing his mind. You'll see, because what he's actually doing is not writing systematic theology. What he's actually doing is building the plane as he flies it. And he's trying to respond to the needs and the difficulties. He doesn't write these letters generally just to say, hey, it's all going great, awesome. He writes these letters to say, what are you doing? How, how are you, what? Stop it, right? That, that's sort of the spirit of the letters. He's dealing and addressing with problems that are cropping up in communities that are radically inclusive. And they're trying to figure out how we bring all of our diversity and all of our complexity into a community where we're all really different, but we're, we feel brought together around some central values and some things. So we, we share a vision of the way we want the world to be, and we're trying to figure out how we do that in community with each other. That's what Paul's doing. And, and here's what he says. He's winding down, often when he's winding down the letter, he's landing the plane. He's sort of giving some what I imagine is like, okay, I want to make sure I tell him this. This sounds good. This sounds good. And so here's what he says in chapter 5, verse 14. Siblings, we urge you to warn those who are disorderly. Comfort the discouraged. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. I mean, there's some of, like, some of that I love. Help the weak, right? Comfort the discouraged. Be patient with everyone. That one's harder. Make sure no one repays a wrong with a wrong, but always pursue the good for each other and everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray 
continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's quite the trio, isn't it? Rejoice always. How many of you got that down? Pray continually? Not even sure what prayer is, Paul. (laughs) I'm a little confused about what we're doing. Give thanks in every situation. Have you ever been in a situation where giving thanks not only felt difficult, but it would have felt inauthentic? So what is he getting at? It actually, depending on the situation, asking someone to give thanks could actually uh, be harmful. Asking somebody who's suffering, asking somebody who's been harmed, asking somebody who's going through trauma. When you think about what this day is, 9-11, is that a thing we want to give thanks in the middle of? And what does that even look like? And so what I'd like to do, I want to just spend a few moments talking about what thanks isn't. And then maybe reflect on if if we take those things off the table, what thanks could be, what it might mean to put this word into our vocabulary and into our ways of being in the world, into our ways of thinking. So let's begin with this. Thanks isn't that thing that happens where you feel guilted and ashamed because you're not thankful, right? Has that ever happened to anybody? When you're talking about your life in some way and somebody goes, well, I just think you should be thankful. Look at all you have. How could you, look at all you have and look about all these other people don't have all you have. How could you possibly not be thankful? And it may be true that you have a lot going for you. And it may be true that you've been really fortunate. It may be true that you've inherited quite a bit of privilege. The reality is in that moment, what you don't need is guilt and shame. Because I have come to believe that guilt and shame are the things that continually drive us away from human flourishing. You remember the story at the beginning of the Bible where the first humans eat the fruit they're not supposed to eat and they're immediately ashamed and they hide? People often talk about this whole idea of, well, they sinned and because God can't be around sin, they had to hide from God. The reality is, if you keep reading, God shows up anyway. God shows up for their evening stroll anyway. And what God does is God immediately moves to cover their shame because shame is the thing that sends them into hiding. And the reality is, the good news is you have never been separated from God. That's really good news, right? You cannot be separated from God. But what shame does is is shame creates the experience of separation. We might use the word estrangement. uh, uh, Shame makes us feel separated from God. And actually, shame makes us feel separated from ourselves. And so no no matter what, yeah, maybe you should be more thankful about some things in your life, but the reality is shame will never get you there. Shame will never bring you, allow you to step into the light. Shame will always keep you in the darkness because that's what shame is designed to do. So thanks isn't guilt and shame. Thanks isn't toxic positivity. You've seen the meme that goes around where the guy's sitting in the room, I think it's a dog, and the whole room's on fire, and he's like, this is fine. You ever feel like that? Like living in America, watching the news, nuclear secrets. You're going, this is fine. This is, we're, we're fine. We're all fine. There's this toxic positivity and it has been uh, so deeply ingrained in the, in the American Christian experience, right? Where, where everything just is fine. And if I pretend it's fine, and if I believe it's fine, then maybe it's just going to be fine. This toxic positivity that 
causes you to ignore maybe some things that you could actually be doing in the world to, to alleviate some problems. But no, no, if I actually, if there's a problem, then there's something wrong because every day is supposed to be a Friday because I'm supposed to rejoice always. Paul said so. There are moments in your life when joy will feel like it's the farthest thing from you. That's okay. There will be moments when something terrible happens. There'll be moments when your roof starts leaking and you get a flat tire and the microwave goes out. And it's okay not to think, this is fine. This is, and, and I had one of these small moments yesterday. I put something in the microwave and I shut it. I shut it. I didn't slam it. I shut it. And this little thing from the bottom of the microwave, it's like a vent cover thing, technical term, fell out. I was like, oh, I can put that back in. And then I dropped it behind the stove. <laughs> and so then I'm like, okay, I'm going to pull the stove out a little bit. And I look behind and I can see it. And I'm like, I know what I'll do. I'll get a broom. And I'll stick the broom down there and I'll slowly lift it up. Well, when I got the broom in there, I knocked out the other one. There were two. And it went behind the stove. And we used grown-up words. And so finally I got them out, but then I couldn't get the stove back in for a bit. And I finally got it all done. I swept up and I was like, okay. Tomorrow I'm talking about giving thanks. I, I'm telling you, in that small, like even, like that's a micro not even a problem, right? But this idea that if you're not feeling good and feel, giving thanks, and if everything doesn't feel up and to the right all the time, and if you can't always say, this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice. Does that annoy you like it does me when people say that? Like, yes, it's the day the Lord has made, but we haven't had coffee yet. So we'll rejoice in our own good time. Um, but it's okay if you don't feel that way. There's toxic positivity that actually acts as a, as a mask to keep us from what's actually going on in the world. And I think part of the human experience and part of being a healthy human being is not like hiding from those things, but it's being able in a healthy way with, with friends and family and therapy, all those things, being able to actually look at what's actually going on in the world. Thanks isn't denying how our experiences make us feel. Anybody else told most of your life that you couldn't trust your feelings? By the way, that, that's why it is so easy in some of the spaces we came out of. Um, it's so easy to have cultures of abuse because when you're constantly telling people don't trust your feelings, then all sorts of things, red flags, all sorts of pain, all, all sorts of things can be minimized and swept under the rug when you don't trust your feelings. You have feelings for a reason. If you feel unsafe, that's okay. That's a, that's a feeling you need to pay attention to, right? And so there's this idea that if we're going to be thankful, then we can't actually look at the reality of our situations. We can't actually look at what's going on in our lives. We have to somehow pretend that we don't feel what we feel. I can remember being in college and my parents would come to visit and I hadn't done laundry in three months. Um, and I would try to like, I'm going to just throw it all in this closet and they'll never see it because, and then I forget, open the closet and inside of there was like a stack of laundry. It, it didn't go away when I, your feelings won't go away. And, and so in part, whatever thanks might be, it isn't 
pretending that you don't feel. It isn't ignoring your heartbreak, your pain. It isn't ignoring suffering. It isn't ignoring what you've actually been through. And, and thanks isn't comparison-based, right? Like sort, sort of what we talked about with the guilt and shame piece. Well, you have so much more than, than this, so you, shouldn't, you should feel a certain way. Right? Comparison never leads us to thanks, does it? Com- comparing our lives to the life of somebody else. And what I found in, in the world is that they're often, when you, like, when you look at uh, somebody who's like a major celebrity, right? And everybody thinks they're great and they're making millions of dollars and it's just all wonderful. You know, that's not actually true, right? Can you imagine people caring about everything? Now, I know that we have social media and I'm like, everybody wants to know what I had for breakfast, but can you really imagine everybody caring about what you had for breakfast? Everybody caring about every decision you make in your life? And so there's this like comparison trap we get into. We want to compare our lives and, and based on how we feel about everybody else's life, we'll decide how we feel about our life. Comparison always leads us down a, a, an unfulfilling road because there'll always be somebody who has it better than you, probably. There's always going to be people who you have it better than. And if you're caught in the middle of trying to measure your life against other people's lives, all you're going to do is feel shame or like, I'm just not enough. I'm just not enough. Look at, look at all the other people my age. They've done this and I haven't done that. Look at all the other people who started out when I started out. They've done all of these things and I haven't even come close. And the truth is, none of those other people are on your path. None of those other people are the unique set of molecules and nerves and synapses and cells that you are. You are a unique being existing in the universe. Your life won't look like other people's lives, and it's not supposed to. I mean, this idea that we should all dress the same, be the same, have the same haircut, what, what kind of world ultimately would that lead to? It's just super bland and boring. And when we are measuring our lives and existences around other people's, it's, Im- it's impossible to then look at what we've been given and look at our life and our singular existence and say, thanks. Well, I would say thanks, but they got a new car. I would say thanks, but they're living the life I thought I should be living. I would say thanks, but. And so I don't think thanks is bound up in how you measure up, how I measure up against our neighbors. I don't think thanks is bound up in how we measure up against people who we, we, we think and imagine that they have the life we want to live. So what, what is thanks? If we lean into, okay, it's none of those things. What, what could thanks be? And I think it begins with, thanks is about awareness or he, what we called last week, hearness. Right? It, it is really impossible to engage thanks when you are in the past or in the future. It, it just is. Because none of the things that you're, that you're dealing with in front of you are, are either one of those. Because the past is about what happened and it's full of all sorts of nostalgia, maybe some regret and all of those things. And the future is so unknown and uncertain. Thanks is about having your feet planted here. And it's about an awareness that I, I might not have existed. Do you ever think about that? You really want to trip out? Think about this. You may never have existed. Now, just imagine, like, you, you exist. You are in the world. 
and as complex and difficult as being in this world can be, you're here. And it's an awareness of, gosh, I actually exist, and existence is a good and beautiful thing. I think thanks, be, thanks begins when we can put our feet in the moment and begin to go, look, if I have nothing else to be uttering this word because of, here's one. I exist and I'm breathing and I'm here in this moment. And I also think thanks is kind of grounded in a kind of contentment. You may all struggle with contentment. And then when you just when I'm thinking a couple weeks ago, you know, there's nothing wrong with my iPhone. It's fine. It's not the newest one, but it's, it's fine. It works. It's cr- yeah, it's cracked. It's fine. I don't need a new. And then they un- unveil like the 14, and its camera is like the greatest camera invented in human history. And suddenly I'm going, my phone's really not fine. I think it's, I think it's running a little slow, and it is cracked. I mean, I can't be carrying a cracked phone around in my pocket all the time. Uh, And suddenly, there's this thing that begins to shift. Contentment is hard. Contentment is hard. And I think because we struggle with, like, if I'm content, does that mean I don't have aspirations for anything? If I'm content, does that mean I can't want something if I'm content? And I think contentment, what I'm coming to understand is contentment doesn't mean that you don't want something. It doesn't mean you think, gosh, I would like to have, or I would like to do, or I'd like to become, or contentment doesn't mean any of things. I think what contentment means is, regardless of how any of that plays out, my identity is not rooted in any of them. Right? So if I get the thing, if I get the promotion, if I do the thing, if I become the skydiving champion, whatever your thing is, your identity is actually not bound up in any of that that you have an understanding of who you are that is outside of how much money you make or how popular or how successful or whatever, you have this sense of who you are, that your value and worth are not determined by any of those other things. Which, which is why often in religious spaces, we, we actually try to move people away from contentment because if they begin to understand that who they are is enough, then in certain contexts, what are we even giving them? Often religion is propped up by this sense of telling you you're lacking something. You're lacking worth. You're lacking belonging. And we here at the institution can help you get it. For $29.95, three easy payments, we'll give you belonging. When in reality, belonging is already yours. Worth is already yours. And when you begin to live from that place, then thanks is different, isn't it? It's not, wow, I'm so thankful for all the stuff I have. And it's great to be thankful for your stuff. Sure, whatever. But thanks then is rooted more in your being. I'm, I'm grateful that I am learning who I am and I'm learning my place in the family of things, the way Mary Oliver put it. And that that place and that belonging is not tied to anything other than the fact that I exist and I am breathing and I am loved and I am beloved and I belong. That, when Paul says be thankful in every situation, what if that's what he's getting at? I mean, again, you have Paul, like if you read the rest of Paul, I don't know, people are, people are really, really mad at Paul 
Well, I'm mad at the, I'm mad at the fake Paul who wrote some of those other letters. He, that person wrote some bad stuff. And I think I'm going to encourage us to be a little, maybe a little kinder to the actual Paul. Here's why. He's building the plane as he flies. He's literally riding to a community going, and he's saying, hand me the duct tape. Put it on there, right? He's doing that. And I think we've made a mistake. We've read Jesus through Paul instead of reading Paul through Jesus. And I don't think Paul was doing something different than Jesus was doing. I think we've read Paul in a way that makes it look like he was doing something. That, that's Bible nerd, nerdery for free. But I think maybe that's what Paul was getting at. Because this guy, if you read his letters, I mean, he talks about, I've been beaten up, been arrested more times than I can count. I was shipwrecked. People are out to get me. He would ultimately meet his death at the hands of the Roman Empire. And he talks about, there's this great line in one of the Corinthian letters where he says, we have nothing, and yet we possess everything. Isn't that a great line? We have nothing, and we have everything. I can't imagine that that same person is writing to the Thessalonians, Thessalonians and saying, look, be thankful in every situation. Just when everything's going bad, just be thankful for your car and be thankful for your dog and be thankful for your refrigerator. I don't think that's what he's getting at. I think what he's saying is beneath all the things that can shift and change, beneath all the things that can go away, beneath all of that, there is a you that exists that is enough. So be thankful for that. Get in touch with the you that is underneath it all. and allow gratitude to spring forth because you know that you don't have to run around measuring up based on other people. You don't have to run around measuring up for God. You don't, that's not how this whole thing works. You get to wake up and be, and it's enough. I, I think thanks is about generosity too. And I'll just say this, I've never seen somebody who was really stingy with everything, who was also a, a person who at the core of their identity was a person of gratitude. Is that fair? I, I've never seen a person who was so miserly with everything, their money, grace, their kindness toward other people. I've never met a person like that who at the end of the day goes, I just feel a real sense of thankfulness in my being. Because there are a couple ways to show up in the world. There, you can show up in the world believing there's only so much to go around. And so if somebody gets something I don't, then it's bad. Y'all been on Facebook since student loan thing happened? It's that. Politics of it aside, if something good happens for somebody else and you're just like, well, didn't happen for me, so I hate it. Probably not a person who wakes up in the morning going, just to be as a gift. Right? Fair. But you meet a person who realizes that just to be is a gift. And they approach things in a way, way, way more open-handed, generous way. So that they can see something good happen for somebody else. And they go, oh, so glad that happened for them. My experience was different. I'm glad they didn't have to have my experience. I think about this because I remember hearing as a kid, well, when I was a kid, we walked to school uphill both ways in snow. Can we just be glad we're not doing that anymore? Do we have to beat people up with the fact that we invented transportation since you went to school? Like, 
maybe it's okay. Maybe it's okay for good things to happen to other people. And I think people who have rooted themselves in this sort of gratitude are able to look at the world and not feel like somebody else's good fortune, hashtag blessing, whatever, it isn't a threat to their well-being. You can look around and say, gosh, it's, I'm so glad that happened for them. I'm so glad that happened for them. And I'm so glad that I have been as fortunate as I've been too. I think generosity comes from that. And I think in some ways, the only way you get to that is, is through practice. I think ultimately thanks is a practice, right? I think it's pretty natural for human beings to look around at what other people have and to be mad and, and frustrated that they got something you didn't. I think that there's, there's this whole theological theory about this called mimetic theory. And it's this idea that we want to imitate. When we, kids do this, right? So when one of my kids has something, guess what all the other ones suddenly want? None of them had it before. It was a toy laying in the middle of the floor. One of them picks it up and suddenly it's a UFC fight that breaks out at my house because everybody wants the thing one person has. That's, that's, that's kind of wired into us. I think it's evolutionary. Right? I don't think it's because somebody got naked and ate some fruit. I think it's evolutionary. <laughs> I don't, I'm glad that was funny. I'm serious. I, I, don't, I don't think that's why it is. I, I think it's explaining that there were some things that when our species was evolving, they were strengths for us and allowed us to make it. But those things that were once strengths for us to allow us to survive are now becoming uh, things that threaten our shared existence. Because when somebody has something you want and you have a nuclear bomb, it's a little different than two people with sticks. And so I think there's this thing in us that's natural that hopefully, uh, we, I don't think it will just go away on its own. I think we have to work on it. But I do, so I think there's this practice to thanks. And I don't mean in the toxic positivity way, like everything's fine, thank the Lord. I don't mean that. I don't mean waking up every day and listing all the things in your life you're thankful for. Have you ever done that? Because <laughs> I've been told to do that before. Have you ever done that and just got more mad about stuff you didn't have? <laughs> it's like, I'm so thankful for this, but I don't have that. Right, it's a little counterproductive. I'm saying the practice of centering yourself in your being of being at home in your body and realizing that existence is good and that for all the things that are swirling about, at the core of who you are, you're enough. Meister Eckhart, um, Christian mystic, said if the only prayer you ever said in your life was thanks, that would suffice. And I would add, maybe that prayer is actually a practice. Maybe it's waking up every day and reminding yourself that uh, who I am is good, who I am is enough. That I don't have to go out today and do the work of measuring myself against everybody else. I don't have to go out today and find my identity and the core of who I am based on how everything is going around me for everybody else. I think it's a practice. I think it's a reminder. One of the very first times I went to therapy, um, one of the things we talked about was telling yourself the truth. That you're in you'll be in moments and you're gonna feel like there's a million things you're gonna be thinking about that just aren't true. 
So every time I try to do something with home improvement, I break something and I bleed. Every time. It's a Scott family tradition. Um, literally, the other day, my oldest did something and he started bleeding. I was like, yeah, welcome. That's who, that's who you are now. That's our family. But every time I do, like, I, I feel my most insecure, like, walking into Lowe's. Because I know that they know, somehow they know. You know, I've even thought about dressing up to go in there, like with a hard hat and a belt on with tools in it, just to play the part, because I think they sense it. And then I go home and try to fix something, and it goes terribly, and it's just not how my brain works, and I get mad, and I, and I end up telling myself things about myself. Like, you're just really, like, you, you do things with words. Other people build stuff. Like, if it weren't for other people, the buildings you sit in to read words, not existing. And there's this thing, I get in this loop in my head about you're just really kind of useless in any practical way. And that may be true. But that's actually not who I am. I'm saying this publicly so I can watch it back the next time I try to do home improvement. But you know what I mean? We'll, we'll, we'll live with this sense of, well, I, I'm a screw-up. I always screw up. That's what I do. Hi, I'm a screw-up. I always make a bad decision. That's who I am. I'm a bad decision maker. I always fumble. That's what I do. I just fumble everything. People put confidence in me and I just blow it every time. No, that's not who you are. Maybe it's as simple as reminding yourself, yeah, yeah, I messed that up. They're going to write books about how I messed that thing up. So I did that well. It's just not who I am. I'm not a screw up. I'm a human being. And to be human is to be this beautiful mixture of divinity and transcendence and dirt. That's such a powerful image when the Genesis 2 creation story, there are two creation stories in the book of Genesis. One is sort of God speaking things into existence and this other is way more intimate. It's God digging down into the dirt and forming a human being out of the dirt and then breathing into that human being and it becomes a living existence. You and I, I think such a beautiful metaphor, we are divine breath and dirt. The name Adam, Adam in Hebrew actually means like dirt guy. <laughs> You're all dirt bags. You just don't know it. That's the, me- that's the message of Genesis. That's who we are. So you're going to mess up. You're going to drop the ball. You're going to make bad decisions at times. And yet none of those things can define your existence. Because the same God who in Genesis forms it all and says it's good is the same God who says the same thing about you. You're good. You're beloved. You're enough. You aren't your achievements. You aren't your accomplishments. And when you let that inside, then you can begin to say things like Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Be thankful in every circumstance. Realize that you have nothing, but you possess everything. That that maybe it doesn't measure up with what everybody else says you should be and have and do. But at the core of who you are, there is an understanding of who you are. And you live from it and you're shaped by it. And you know that you know that you're enough. Are you with me? I think that's where thanks begins. I think that's where thanks starts. Let's pray.
God, there are moments when the word thanks is so far from us. And yet, in, even in those moments, we, we live from this ground of being, knowing that we're loved and embraced. Remove us as best we can from this guilt and shame cycle, from this way of seeing the world that continually measures our existence by the existence of other people. May we begin to have the ability to trust that who we are is enough. that who we are belongs. And may we live from the ground of that being. May we share Paul's words that there are moments when it feels like we have nothing and yet we possess everything. We're grateful. And everybody said, amen. Amen.